0: Welcome to Art Personals, a podcast made by Compound Yucca Valley, an art and event space in California's high desert. Today, we've invited Matt Wesson for an interview with me, Caroline Partamian, Program Director here at Compound. We are currently exhibiting a series of Matt's photographs in an exhibition called Rise Set. In this show, Wesson captures the moods and movements of two occurrences we all have the opportunity to witness every day, the sunrise and the sunset. Typically thought of as either impossible to capture in a way that's true to the experience or else cliched and sentimental, Wesson instead uses abstraction to organize this daily ritual into a show that is colorful, bold, and graphic, more akin to a Pantone color book than nature photography. Born in Los Angeles in 1982, but currently based in Ohio, Matt and I chatted via Zoom as I spent time in the gallery with his work.
1: To ask you a little bit of a tuning question, could you tell me a little bit about where you are right now? I know you're in Ojai, but like the room that you're sitting in, is there something in that room that's pretty special to you in any way, or is maybe like stands out a little bit differently at this moment in time than anything else in that room?
2: Let me see. Yeah, hold on, I'll get it. It's a photograph of my grandfather, Lewis. Uh, smoking a cigarette. Uh, in around 1944. Uh, U.S. Army before going to the South Pacific. Is this wearing the like button-down, full-length uh, canvas? I assume it's a green or tan military, uh, non-formal. I know that in the South Pacific, they either ran tan or green, light green or tan. He is my grandfather, but um, he was a really accomplished photographer and basically had the opportunity to run the creative marketing and photographic division of United Airlines in the heyday of like the golden era flight. And my grandmother, uh, she didn't want to leave Bakersfield and originally Avenel, which is like, even like a small town outside of Bakersfield, California. And so he ended up like just working on the oil field and just like never left kind of the small town thing. Um, so just as a motivation of just like kind of carrying and kind of carry on the, uh, the creative element that he had and then him not being able to like fully um, do that i mean i don't know it's hard to hard to think about that he wasn't able to move to san francisco and like basically you know be part of that whole scene and he just stayed in like a small farm town you know and worked on the oil field so anyways this is a photo of him and he died when i was young and yeah i mean i kind of got that part um from him i mean he had his own dark room did all his own development and all that but my brother got my grandmother and she was a crazy musician. He's in a band. And he does music and he did the whole, still in the band, doing all the like world tour stuff. So it's kind of interesting how the bloodlines from two different families kind of cross. And my grandmother was like a flapper in the 20s and stuff, you know, like, so she was like part of that whole scene. Um, in the 30s. And then my son is named Lewis after that. This here too. I mean, it's not my favorite one, but it's a Super eight camera, um, that uh, I did a lot of my life's work when I was in my maybe like nineteen years old through like mid thirties. Shot like a lot of eight millimeter, and then it's more, I guess, complicated now because it's a, a tool that's like kind of more widely used in the commercial setting. Um, so I don't really use it as much and a lot of the film stocks were discontinued by kodak uh, due to either people didn't want it demand budget cuts chemical uh like kodachrome they don't make anymore so there's only the vision the vision and the tri-x and then they just came out with like a new ektachrome so but anyways yeah i mean i really like shooting motion picture and made a lot of small films and medium and Full-length films uh, in my earlier part of creative world, I guess.
1: Thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah, it's of really course. Special to learn also about your grandfather being named Lewis, and then just like the trajectory. I would love to know more about kind of when was the first time you knew that photography was a medium that spoke to you. Whether that was via Lewis, or maybe it was a specific. Piece that you saw, like a specific photograph that really spoke to you, but I would love to know more about like the history of like the first time you knew this is what I'm going to spend a lot of my time in my life doing and focusing on.
2: Well, it started out actually with my neighbor when I was growing up, named Logan Shinto, and we started shooting things, people, and stuff, and it was more like youthful things uh more of in a derelict fashion um but we really liked filming things so i think that photography was second to uh motion actually um and then out of high school we both moved to hawaii and tried to go to school i didn't um i think he did mostly or finished i'm not sure and We came back and, uh, my friend, Charlie, he was living in Australia and he shot some things. Um, and basically we made a movie named hooligans, Logan and I, and, and his brother Blake. And then we had a premiere at the Lemley theater on second street in Santa Monica. And it was really, uh a nice evening, a nice success sold out and everything. It was all wild people doing drugs and the theater and smoking and, you know, we are like 18, 19. And it was like a cross section of like teenage youth anarchy and like parents that were shocked at the, uh, behavior. So it was like a really fun evening. Um, and I don't know, during the process of that f- film and making hooligans and anyway, so that, uh, that started me shooting photos and it was more of like of the youth kind of wild side of life moments and i was like shooting with colored filters on regular 35 millimeter film and i don't know just kind of doing things like that time even though i went on to move to santa barbara go to city college then to brooks um that batch of imagery was actually how i got like into shooting for people and doing projects and things but that time that particular time of of shooting like that batch when i worked with a woman named sophie howard um who represented me for a long time that's how kind of i got out of all the shots that i had shot like almost 10 years after that that was the batch that she went out and got me jobs from so it all kind of is stems from that, I guess, that 19-year-old idea of trying to depict life in a slightly different uh, shade, I guess.
1: One of the quotes that we pulled to build a statement for your show was by St. Francis, American Painter. um, And I wanted to just see how you would respond to it and like how that, how it resonates with you, but I'll just read the quote. Color is born of the interpenetration of light and dark. And I wanted to just ask about lighting and darkness and how that sort of influenced, you know, especially the show that we have currently here in compound Mm Rise set where there's so much play with light and dark and like the circadian rhythms. Of different times of day and being able to shoot that but it like kind of resonates and sits in and you just like let the viewer ruminate on like the light and dark before they really realize it's actually like sunrise and sunsets like the playfulness between light and dark is what is really most captivating to me I feel like about mm-hmm. the show and so I wanted to ask you how is it playful for you like how does light and darkness play into your um you know videographic and filmographic and photographic work
2: Well, I would say that the, I mean, regarding just the show itself is if anyone has traveled a lot, there are just certain ways that certain places at certain time of year have a certain color. And obviously the farther you move away from the equator, the more dramatic and shorter those certain times are, you know? So for me, it's like in uh, Southwest France, it's almost the same. As like the la color spectrum at that same time in october and the show is really based upon a certain light and atmospheric conditions that happen usually um once a year or twice a year in that like middle october through middle of november time period and like this year we're not going to get it for some reason it's cold i just called and talking to all my friends and like why is there no no wind and none of that light this year it's strange strange year but you typically we get a certain type of conditions and then within that conditions and within the wind there's like particulate that gets like taken from the dust and the deserts and the things and the smog and whatever and funnels through the canyons and then and then so when the the lights projected uh at the end of the day in the beginning of the day i guess some of it is shot midday a few pieces but there's like a seemingly more depth or tangibility in the color in that time of year because there is actually all the air movement with particulates so that there is a more of a density in the color rather than if i were to take it even on the same day with the same color without the particulate in the air then it would still feel like a flat image i think it's something that I've always wanted to show. And I shot it like over a decade ago when what happened to just be those perfect days where there wasn't like one part of the sky that had one drop of moisture. And it. it's like almost, you know, obviously we can't live at 0% humidity, but the humidity was probably like at 7% or something, you know, 5% maybe where it's like almost like your skin's cracking like that kind of air. You know, and it's moving fast, like the winds maybe blowing like 35, 40. And then from a higher, higher vantage point, most of the photographs are taken. So yeah, I mean it's it's something that's I'm always freaked out about the weather and, and meteorology and just the whole process of how the ocean and and the sky and how things kind of all meet up together. And those conditions maybe last for like maybe a day and a half. And a lot of times, that even if you have the conditions, you still have clouds. Weirdly, you'll have high, high stratospheric clouds, or or something. They're, they're, it's not always like even within the conditions that you have, like the right angle of the sun. And like in the summer, it's more of a white light, you know. And in the in the fall and the winter, it's like more of like a yellow. It's the way that the like sun angles on the earth, you know. But in the winter it becomes more like cool, more into like the blue tone and like the fall is like the only time you ever has that like yellow so the color is more dramatic with that you know infusion of that pantone or hue or i mean know. it's a
1: very beautiful and like obvious attention to detail with the light in this show that is just really nice um and very interesting to kind of hear you go through like each season and point out different Elements of like what the color spectrum would match up to, like, that specific season, too. I
2: think with wave pattern, there's this like an emotion to that type of like days that happen, right? It, it creates this uh, symmetry and things that like only you see within the water texture when the water and the air moving like that happens. So There's kind of like this emotional thing to that, like the feeling of being in that wind and has that certain. Texture and feeling and sound, you know, and the beach is is naturally coned where it's like you're like the first like virgin footstep or something, you know, as you're like running towards the sea. So it all is like part of that. It like all has that like kind of reference point to that. Whereas like the winter is kind of cold and more lonely, depending where you are, and and the summer is more crowded and joyful you know in the spring it's like birth and then that's like kind of like an animal nature right in relationships and everything else it's like you know like in the fall you're like kind of like the feeling of trying to find a mate to like have down for the winter and then the spring comes you're kind of like i don't know if i want to you know like whatever you know so i want to be free in summer you know so i think that's like that's all like part of the like that same like cyclical nature and and it was like really nice to work with you and mike and laura to um be able to show the show
1: Thank you for for showing yeah. it here, and I mean that's something else I wanted to ask about, and something that I appreciate about your practice too, is because the first time I learned, because I know you have your own artistic practice, but it's something that I see similar with with my trajectory. I have my artistic practice, but I have a curatorial practice as well, which is you know beautifully built my community of artists that have become close to me, and so I know that the first time you ever. Um, showed at compound, you included some of your work, but you also curated a show back in 2018 yes. at LA County with a group of artists here. Yes. I wanted yes. to ask a little bit about your community, um, you know, through the practice of curating shows also over the last decade or so and how that has influenced your artistic practice and like, you know, who, who some of the artists are in that community from curating shows or just building your practice. who have really inspired your own, Artistic and curatorial practice.
2: Well, I think um, obviously being able to spend time with, with uh, people that, are, that have gone through it, traveled through time a lot longer, they kind of pass on things where it might have taken you like another 20 or 30 years to even understand what that was. And then they like, kind of turn you on to that. And then you're able to like, redirect your trajectory just slightly. But maybe you're going to get to where you kind of want to go, differently, faster, better, more aware than 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 you would have without their help. But even though the art or the creative might have been the same, you know, but the way and why you do it is maybe different. So, basically, the story is: is uh, I had an opportunity to show in uh, Tokyo, like almost ten years ago. I think it's like seven or eight years ago now. Um, I was doing some resins. St- things kind of some concepts and a guy named skip engblom who was the co-founder of dogtown with craig Stasic. right those are like the two main guys with jeff ho who also shaped the board so it was kind of like the three of them or all like you know and uh craig Stasic, obviously legendary uh and writer and cultural icon jeff ho does incredible work With surfboards and Skip was like kind of uh, a poet that not really a lot of people know about. And also like another marketing kind of genius person who saw potential in this youth culture and whatnot. And they kind of changed culture as a group. And also, I remember seeing Dogtown for the first time at the Lemley Theater. Um, And then being able to work with Skip, who was working at Aquatech with Scott Anderson, um, who passed away a couple years ago. Tragic. Another great, iconic shaper, artist. A lot of people didn't know how talented uh, he was in being able to facilitate a lot more than just supports. Um, and I walked in and was like, hey, can we kind of try this stuff? And, and so every week uh, for like two months, we'd come in and do these pieces and work on it. And by the end, I felt that my work with Skip was kind of a team effort. Like certainly wasn't just mine, you know. So I, I personally felt awkward going to Japan without at least offering him like, hey, do you want to go to Japan to the show? We do this thing together and see what happens. And so I go, you know, do you want to go? Do you want maybe go to Japan or whatever? Um I think he must have been like 69 or 70. So it was obviously it'd be a big trip, you know, to be able to do that. So, anyways. Talk to his wife Martha, great lady. Um, she's like, okay, go. And so we went to Tokyo together, and had this great experience into the show, and and that was kind of like the beginning of like the collaborative, like actually going for it. I guess that was the first time I've actually like you know kind of teaming up in that kind of fashion, you know. Um, and so that was kind of the start. And so when I got home, we went to Japan again. We started doing shows, and I. uh, Worked with my wife, Anna, who was super amazing with trying to get all that other stuff rather than just the talk. And she's a great writer and being able to write all the different parts that you need for the show and the one page and the stuff that goes on the wall and all of the, you know, website and all the digital correspondence, you know, that whole part that kind of is the way that's actually the way the world works. And the curatorial is just what the world sees, you know. Kind of, they're kind of needing both, and it's hard to be both. I found it's hard to describe. You're like your own work, I guess, is is sometimes difficult, at least for me personally. So, but yeah, and then that was going really, really well, uh, and then basically COVID hit, and then that was just like, what do we do? We kind of worked five years straight to try and make that happen, and then everything got canceled. So, anyways, we moved to North Carolina. Louis came into the picture, and now we're in, in Ohio.
1: Speaking of Louis, I know that, because I wanted to ask, as kind of like a closing question, what your next big upcoming projects that you hope to, to see in the coming years, and I know that can be sort of a, like a nonsensical question because I feel like asking what the goal is kind of an overwhelming question that doesn't need sure. to be asked because things just do happen organically. Sure. Um, and I know that being a parent, like that's just a huge full-time project in and of itself. Um, but artistically, I mean, feel free to answer this any which way you want to, but like for sure. yourself, what do you foresee that we could look for in the coming years? Or if that's not a a generative question, then what is exciting you right now um, that you're either just checking out or absorbing?
2: Well, I mean, I think the difficulty I've had trying to do things is I have, um, you know, seemingly 100 years worth of projects. And like doing this show um, alone feels like lonely, weirdly, because it's usually always collaborative. And it's always trying to work together. So this has been really exciting in a way and nervous to be able to ever show like anything personal alone. Uh, so l- during the pandemic, I was fortunate enough to work um, and art direct the Morning of the Earth book and make a film uh, with a guy named Jonah Reimers and my brother did the music, Bradford, um, some other people. Bradford's crew and my brother's crew, Ryan Rabin, Max St. John. So, I mean, I really have a love for uh, bookmaking. So there is a few books that are, you know, in the pipeline right now, but with global shipping and costs of materials, it's kind of we're trying to navigate those waters right now um, and trying to figure out how to make that work. Filmmaking, there's some some things and with personal stuff, you know, yes, um, there's a few things coming up in the future that are personal and and collaborative. I mean, that's what I really love a lot. Um, Be able to participate with people. I think it's just as, to me, it's just like nurturing for the soul. It like actually has like an emotional process internally before the public even sees it. I think that's always like really satisfying personally. But having a 15-month-old and a full-time job and two part-time jobs, um, I think that sometimes... I found it right now, it's just personally hard to like get anywhere, you know? Like I could have more time, work all night on my own stuff and do my own work on my, be personal about things or like work with books or whatever that are more like compartmentalized. But if you feel curatorial, the curatorial processes, you know, it's something that you gotta like see that artist and feel the like vibe, it can't be a Skype thing. You can't just like hold the camera, I mean, you can, but feel like that that both energies in the same room talking about life not having a time limit on that time spent with them or how many meetings it takes i think ultimately is what gives you the show or the results that you want um at least i found what i would like to do is is the group curatorial things as i really loved and it was really emotionally hard the whole pandemic shutdown because like just most of the people I were working with were like 60 plus, if not 70 plus. So all of a sudden now it's just like the fear of spread and contagion and if they get it and if this happens and you know, this is like that whole thing was not only like trying to be safe, but then just they're in that age group. I don't know, it's a process, but it's, it's something that I've done since I've been young I was starting to film with logan when we were like 15 you know and now i'm 40 so I, don't know, I think it's just to me it's just really beginning and just trying to hold on as each one of those lanes and try to just focus and just keep keep going and i think that time does move differently for our generation and their generation i think that's what i found interesting is that i look at a lot of the older generations and i'm like wow you guys live like 10 lifetimes to our lifetime They were able to achieve so many milestones that I feel like our lives move so much faster, and they were able to spend so much more time at each one of those milestones. Whereas it just seems the world moves faster. So we don't have seemingly as much time to create as they did. Now, maybe that's our digital, uh, you know, plug in and all these different things. But I I think that that's an inspiration I'm trying to. trying to hold on to because it's so easy to get lost in time, you know?
1: It's like such a nice, beautiful three hundred and sixty back to just thinking about your grandfather's timeline and, you know, closing on this note of how the world moves so much faster now, like the output that we have is perhaps a little bit less, but it really is like to each their own time. And like just the accumulation of things is, is, yeah. it looks different from generation to generation.
2: I think I showed you the picture in the beginning because he was never able to like achieve that. Uh, creative height that maybe he wanted to right and i was too young to ever ask him. He died when i was like seven you know so i couldn't even ask the idea of what creatively he was unable to achieve you know i only hear it through my mother but i know that she has like a uh, an emotion towards that non ability to finish that that to me was always resonating how like he wasn't able to finish that because of you know circumstances so regardless of what it takes to keep going, you know, that like, there's that um, wanting to fulfill part of his inability to make it happen. So, you know, a fire that's always lit.
0: Thanks for listening to Our Personals, a podcast produced by Compound Yucca Valley. You have been listening to Matt Wesson in interview with me, Caroline Partamian, Program Director at Compound. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider supporting this artist whose prints you can find over on our website at compoundyv.com. You can learn more about Compound YV and stay tuned for future episodes over at our website and our Instagram at compoundyv. Art Personals is produced by Laura Wilson, Caroline Partamian, and Michael Townsend in collaboration with our artists. This episode was mixed and edited by our gallery associate, Emiliano Vasquez. Original music by Ethan Primisen. We curate artwork for our virtual and physical spaces. If you are an artist interested in working with us, please send an email to hello at compoundyv.com.